Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Friday episode for week 14 of the 2023-2024 NBA season. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm your host, Carson. Welcome to the show. As I mentioned on our last episode on Wednesday, um, which we did very quickly, I was dealing with some throat issues. I think my voice sounds maybe a bit better. Um, I'm definitely feeling a lot better. But a lot better. Basically, I did a... Uh, uh, doctor's visit yesterday figured out that it was uh most likely a strep throat kind of situation um and so i've been on antibiotics i've been drinking plenty of fluids and i tell you i've i've i think i've had to take antibiotics for a couple of things in the past i don't remember having this immediate of a help like i got him yesterday around 12 or two o'clock Took it at two. And then by like 2.30, I'm like, I'm feeling immediately 50% back as far as like, just it was super painful before I had taken the antibiotics. So that pain has been gone since basically when I started taking it. Um, my voice itself, itself is still kind of recovering. Um, but I felt like I was, I contemplated doing a shorter episode again and, and you know, not doing all of our segments are Friday segments, but I felt like with um, plenty of rest and uh, liquids again to help pull me through as I take a drink here, I felt like we could power through somewhat abbreviate some segments and we could do a full Friday episode. So that is why we are here. Excuse me. That being said, with that in mind, we're just going to jump right into it with, uh, first of all, our game summaries and news from the last couple of days of action. All right, we're starting again with yet another Rivals Week matchup. The Phoenix Suns winning in Dallas against the Mavericks. 132 to 109, your final score. Um, Mavericks had the big lead uh, mid-second quarter of about 16, and then the Suns fought back, uh, nearly tying it before halftime, and then the Suns never trailed in the second half, uh, a tale of two halves to uh, say the least. So credit to Phoenix for staying with it in this game, fighting back for a victory. Um, Dallas not helped by the fact they didn't have Kyrie Irving, um, but... It was uh, a great game for Phoenix. And again, that third quarter specifically was phenomenal for Phoenix. In the third quarter, they had 43 points on 18 of 22 shooting, or an 81% shooting percentage, which is the best shooting quarter for any team this season. Phenomenal numbers they put up. Um, so they end up winning the game uh, again by about uh, 21 points. Um, they led by as many as 29 towards the end of the fourth quarter, but this is their seventh straight victory. Phoenix has been looking very impressive. Um, so big win for them for Dallas. Yeah. No Kyrie Luke up doing his best in place of, Ky- of Kyrie 34 points, nine assists, eight boards, two blocks of steel. Um, solid percentages. Not much more you can ask from Luca really outside of Luca. They had 17 off the bench from Tim Hardaway jr. And then 11 from Jaden Hardy off the bench as well. Meanwhile, for the Suns, Devin Booker led them with 46 points, seven boards, three assists, two steals. Uh, Bradley Beal, 20 points, seven boards, seven assists, uh, 15 points for Grayson Allen, 
12 points, 10 rebounds, two blocks, a steal for Kevin Durant, seven assists for him as well. And then 11 points off the bench for Keta Bates Diop. Um, fairly well spread scoring. Um, a little bit more well spread than Dallas, along with a 46 point f- game for Booker, uh, made the difference. So big win for Phoenix. Congratulations to them. Well deserved. Let's move on to the next game. The Oklahoma City Thunder. Again, this was the second matchup of Rivals Week uh, Wednesday night. And the Oklahoma City Thunder winning in San Antonio against the Spurs, 140-114, to 114, a matchup of Holmgren versus Wemby. Um, you know, a big storyline going into the year, but the Thunder controlled the game uh, more so because of the um, MVP level of, candidate, uh, of campaign that SGA has put up this season. Uh, he had 32 points in this game. His 32nd 30-point game, uh, 30 or more point game this season, which leads the league. So phenomenal numbers for him. Um, And uh, alongside him, Holmgren had 17, nine boards, three blocks, uh, 13 for both Jalen Williams and Kaysen Wallace, 22 off the bench for Aaron Wiggins as well. Very impressive. And then uh, 12 points for Josh Giddey. So many weapons on this team. There's always somebody else who's going to emerge. And, oh, yeah, he's on the team. He can contribute. You know, this player does these things well. Um, It's a big reason they are right there with the Timberwolves, maybe even going to pass the Timberwolves for top team in the Western Conference, depending on how the rest of the season goes um, uh, and the rest of the week as far as our next power rankings. For the Spurs, Wembenyama had a great game, 24 points, 12 boards, four blocks, uh, 12 boards, four blocks, and four assists. We got 21 from Devin Vassell, who had seven assists, five rebounds. Blake Wesley with 12, uh, 11 off the bench for Malika Branham, and then 10 points off the bench for Zach Collins as well. Um, not terrible, but the, the Thunder team is so deadly. Um, the Spurs are just not quite on that timeline yet. They're uh, a couple of years out from being really competitive, and the Thunder have been building this with uh, with young talent and now an MVP-level player in Shea Gilders-Alexander. Um, and a potential rookie of the year in Chet Holmgren. Um, they've got all the pieces at the moment. And so you got to give the Thunder credit for that kind of a victory. Um, San Antonio, not too far off. And the Spurs have been looking a little more lively over the past month or so. Um, it's still a big win for OKC. That was the second game from Wednesday night. Finally, we're going to focus on um, excuse me, the Golden State Warriors' first game in uh, a little more than a week, I believe. Of course, two games were postponed in the wake of the passing of assistant coach Dayan Milijevic. Um, but the Warriors returned to the hardwood on Wednesday night with a home game against the Atlanta Hawks. They win the game 134 to 112. I'm sure a game dedicated to the memory of Milijevic. Um, a big for them to be able to get a win in that type of a, an emotional situation, um, kind of driving their success. Big fourth, third and fourth quarter um, to win the game by 22 points in this one. Um, they had several pregame honors that were very touching to uh, Coach Decky, as he was known. Um, they wore shirts with um, uh, what was the the phrasing on the shirts? Um, I I saw it, thinking, "Oh, I'm gonna remember what it said." Oh, great! I remembered just before I was able to find it, um, which is in Serbian. His language was "brother." Um, and again, I believe I'm remembering that correctly. Um, kind of something that he would use a lot with players and with uh, a lot of people in the Warriors organization. So that was a nice tribute. Um, 
Also in pregame, the players wore jerseys with Milievich's name on the back. Um, of course, again, also they had the they have the DM patch on their jersey with the heart. They'll wear for the rest of the season. On the court, there's also the DM uh, with the heart logo. So lots of tributes. Uh, Steve Kerr gave a a speech to the home court crowd, and instead of a moment of silence, he wanted a standing ovation uh, for for Coach Decky. A lot of touching stuff, and again, the win was what they really wanted uh, to really make sure that that honoring of him went over uh, as best it could. Uh, for the Hawks, they had some solid performances. Uh, no Trey Young in this game. Dejounte Murray, twenty three points, seven boards, seven assists. Uh, Jalen Johnson, 21 points, nine boards, six assists. He continues to stand out. Excuse me. He continues to stand out for the Hawks in his second or third year. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich starting, 17 points for him, 18 points, seven boards for Sadiq Bey, 13 off the bench for Patty Mills, and then 11 points, 11 rebounds for Clint Capella. Excuse me. For the Warriors, they were led by Steph Curry, 25 points, 8 assists, 5 of 8 from 3. Alongside him, Clay Thompson, 24 points, 5 of 10 from 3. And then off the bench, Jonathan Kaminga, kind of the big headliner for the Warriors here, 25 points, 9 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 blocks. 11 of 11 from the floor was Kaminga, which tied Chris Mullen's franchise record for field goals made in a game without a miss, 11. So very impressive stuff for him. Um, they also got 12 points from both Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green. Green coming off the bench in this case. And then 10 points for both Dario Saric and Pajem- Brandon Pajemski. Uh, Pajemski coming off the bench. Uh, so a big win for the Warriors. Uh, credit to them for an emotional night and getting a win like that. This was the 400th regular season win for Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green, that trio. The 13th trio in NBA history to reach that regular season win total. So uh, congrats to them for that honor. A lot of big things. It was kind of the Warriors night. Uh, you can't fault the Hawks for for losing one of those type of games, um, especially where they had a, a competitive game. They had decent production, uh, but the Warriors were just kind of driven to, to win this game to honor their recently passed head coach. So uh, that's it for our Wednesday games we wanted to focus on. We have two more games from Thursday night starting with the Indiana Pacers hosting the Philadelphia 76ers and the Pacers getting their first win uh, following the trade to acquire Pascal Siakam. Siakam's first win as a Pacer. They win the game 134 to 122 um, and especially had a hot start in the game to to get them off on the right foot. They never trailed, led by as much as 27. Uh, impressive stuff for them in this game. Overcoming... Joel Embiid, 31 points in the game. That is his 22nd consecutive 30-point game, um, trying to push the records of of James Harden in his most recent era, um, but all-time, of course, Wilt Chamberlain multiple times having incredible long-scoring runs uh, across several, you know, dozens and and uh, even hundred-so games. I mean, he, has, he was unbelievable. Um Excuse me. Not only was it Siakam's first win uh, as a Pacer, it was also his first triple-double of the season. Uh, So that's also worth noting. But real quick, let's actually go to the box scores alongside um, Joel Embiid for the Sixers. They had 22 points for Tyrese Maxey. 
11 for both KJ Martin and Ricky Council, the fourth, uh, both coming off the bench. I want to say that's a career high for Ricky Council, um, a two-way contract guy, I believe. So that's nice for him. Batum, uh, Nicholas Batum, 10 points. Daniel Haas Jr., 10 points as well, coming off the bench. And then for the Pacers, yes, Yakim's triple-double, 26 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists. They got 20 points from Miles Turner, 19 points, 8 assists from Andrew Nemard, starting at point guard, uh, 16 points for Aaron Neesmith, 13 off the bench for both Benedict Matherin and Obi Toppin, and then 11 points for Buddy Heald. Um, Well-balanced attack. Pacers really wanted to get a win. They'd been on a little bit of a, a slide over the last few games, and especially impressive against a Philly team that had both Embiid and Maxi. Um, credit to Indiana for that type of win. They snapped the Philadelphia 76ers six-game win streak. So even more impressive. Big win for Indiana. For Indiana. Props to them. Props to Siakam. And then finally, uh, the last game from last night, Thursday night, the Sacramento Kings won in Golden State against the Warriors, 134 to 133. Your final score, a back and forth duel all the way. Um, the Kings had a couple of brief leads um, of, you know, 11 points, 10 points, nine points. They had more of the leads on the whole. The Warriors were always pushing that. They were always staying close. They took the lead a handful of times in the game. It was back and forth the entire game. So it seemed like it was really anyone's game, um, despite the Kings leading most of the game. I uh, felt like it was anyone's game for, for the whole time. Um, crazy ending sequence. The Kings are up one, um, just about a minute to go. Uh, they inbound to Jonathan Kaminga. He's able to just get good inside positioning, rise up for a dunk to give the Warriors a one-point lead. Next possession down, the Kings, um, similar some ways. I don't think it was an inbound, but it felt sort of similar, but and they were able to find Stabonis Sabonis on a cut inside. He gets an easy dunk to take the lead back. Warriors had a couple opportunities to try and uh, win the game. Just couldn't quite find it. Um, you know, Steph Curry had a shot. Before that, it was Jonathan Kaminga on a drive and uh, uh, a block or a deflection by Harrison Barnes. Kaminga wanted a foul call. Um, so Warriors just couldn't quite come up with it. Kings get a victory. I think it's a big victory for them. In the rivalry, um, again, this was a Rivals Week matchup um, where the Warriors have been the dominant team for so long, and especially this season where the Warriors are even more regressing and the Kings have a chance to take their spot as a California playoff contender. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I think these are the kind of wins that you need, so that's big for them. Um, looking at the box scores, we'll start with the Warriors. Steph Curry, 33 points. 6 of 14 shooting from 3, 6 rebounds as well. The best Warrior by far, although Jonathan Kaminga, 31 points in the game. I'd probably say that's a career high as well. Coming off the, the game the previous night against Atlanta, Kaminga's been on a nice run. Um, so he's been a bright spot. Um, outside of those guys, the rest of the team struggled in part in shooting. Um, Wiggins had good percentages, uh, 75% from the floor. Two of three from three, 17 points for him. And then Clay Thompson, 16 points, 35% shooting, two of seven from three. Dario Sarge, 14 points, four of four from three point range, um, five of six from the floor overall. So Wiggins and Sarge shot the ball exceptionally well. Uh, Curry shot it well. Looking at it, actually, I think it was just Clay Thompson that struggled a bit more. 
because Bajemski was, you know, good percentage off the bench. Corey Joseph, Kaminga, um, Draymond Green, five points, 11 assists, though. Three steals on the block as well, doing his kind of Draymond thing. Um, but yeah, it was the Kings night. They were led by a former Warriors, Harrison Barnes, 39 points for him. Uh, a career high in a lengthy career for Harrison Barnes. Uh, multiple stops, high contracts, but of course a championship with the Warriors in 2015. Um, easily an above average player. I like Harrison Barnes a lot. Glad to see him have this kind of game for a team that's now rising in the West against his former team that is now maybe falling in the West. I think that's kind of a fun note for me able to get that. Seven of 12 from three-point range was Harrison Barnes. Um, phenomenal shooting for him all night. They got 29 points from De'Aaron Fox, five assists as well. Sabonis, 18 points, 13 assists, and eight rebounds. Um, near a triple-double again. They got 14 from Keegan Murray, who had six rebounds, two blocks, and a steal as well. Kevin Herter had 12 points and 10 rebounds, not to mention three steals. And then finally, Davion Mitchell had 10 points coming off the bench, um, three of five shooting from three-point range for him. Um, great game for Sacramento. You know, a big win, as we kind of talked about. This is the third straight Warriors-King game, uh, Warriors-Kings game that was decided by a single point. Again, it was 134 to 133. Third straight time that's been decided by a single point, which is tied for an NBA record. They're also the first to have all three of those such games um, in the same season uh, in 45 years. There was not really, I couldn't find info on what that previous team uh, set of teams was to have three games in the same season that were all decided by a single point. Needless to say, um, well-deserving of a rival week spot. And again, a big win for Sacramento. Those are the games we wanted to focus on more in depth. The remaining games, um, Timberwolves beat the Wizards in Washington, 118 to 107. Uh, this is back to Wednesday night action again. Detroit Pistons got another win at home, this time against the Charlotte Hornets, 113 to 106. Bayon Bogdanovich, 34 points. The 13 to 2 run to close the game. So clutch play for the Pistons, not just, you know, happening to outscore the team in the game, you know, but they 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 pulled the win out at the end of it. Um also worth noting that this is their second win this season against Charlotte. Five wins on the year, two of them against the Charlotte Hornets. Says something about one of those teams. Otherwise, um, big win for Detroit. For the Memphis Grizzlies, they won uh, in Miami against the Heat, 105-96. to Vince Williams Jr., 25 points, making good on that recent um, opportunity he was given with a not two-way deal but a standard contract. Um, so he's he's really wanting to to prove the value there um, in Memphis. Next, the Milwaukee Bucks won at home against the Cleveland Cavaliers, 126 to 116. Giannis with a 35.18 rebound, 10 assists, triple double. This is Milwaukee's first win with interim coach Joe Prunty. Of course, they recently uh, let go of Adrian Griffin, um, but the reported signing of Doc Rivers, he hasn't been brought on fully official yet. So Joe Prunty is the interim head coach. This snapped Cleveland's eight-game win streak. And back to that triple-double for Giannis, this is his fifth triple-double of 2024, the calendar year. So very impressive stuff for Giannis and the Bucks there. Next, the Portland Trailblazers won a thriller in Houston against the Rockets, 137-131 in overtime. 
Anthony Simons with 33 points for Portland against Alperin Shingoon's 30 point, 10 rebound, double double, eight assists for Shingoon as well. But it was a, uh, you know, Houston looked like they kind of had a, a win in the final minute or two, and then they got a a big three in the corner for Malcolm Brogdon. The Trailblazers did to cut it to three, and then they inbounds to um, Jeremy Grant who has a fading desperation three that banks in to force overtime when it seemed like the game was over. Um, big stuff for Portland. And they then go on a big run at the beginning of overtime to to take the lead big and, and run away with the game. Um, tough loss for Houston, but credit to Portland for being able to come up with that kind of a win. Um, and those, are the other, those were the games from Wednesday. Um, the other games from Thursday – the Utah Jazz won in Washington against the Wizards, 123 to 108. Um, the New York Knicks won at home against the Denver Nuggets, 122 to 84. Nicole Jokic with 31 points and 11 rebounds in that game. Um, but for the Knicks, Ananobi uh, had a season high six steals. The Knicks held Denver to a season low in points at 84 points in the game. This is Knicks, the Knicks' fourth win by 25 points or more in the past three weeks. And New York is an NBA best 11 and two since Ananobi's debut on new year's day. We are definitely going to be talking a lot more about the Knicks um, on our upcoming power rankings. They could be moving up even more, but for the moment, big win for them against a, a tough nugget squad and the Knicks continue to uh, potentially rise in the Eastern conference. Uh, then the Boston Celtics, Again, part of Rivals Week, one in Miami against the Heat, 143 to 110, 33-point margin of victory. That's their biggest win over the Rival Heat in franchise history, at least there's a stat along those lines. Maybe it was over the past um, 10 to 15 years, the times that they've really been rivals. Uh, didn't see that exactly. Um, but Jason Tatum, 26 points in the game. He became the fifth Celtic with 200 25-plus point games. The other four, Sam Jones, John Havlicek, Larry Bird, and Paul Pierce. Um, elite company, Tatum, continues to rise in that already elite uh, pantheon of Boston Celtics players. Um, next, the Minnesota Timberwolves won in Brooklyn against the Nets, 96-94. A little bit of a lower-scoring game for this calendar year. Uh, Timberwolves took the lead on a Carl Anthony Towns lob to Rudy Gobert. And then Timberwolves able to shut out the, the Nets in the final minute or so to win the game. And then finally, the Los Angeles Lakers won at home against the Chicago Bulls, 141 to 132. Um, for the Lakers, this was a season high in shooting percentages, both in uh, just from the floor in general and from three-point range. They shot 60% from the floor, 64.5% from three-point range. Um D'Angelo Russell led them in scoring with 29. LeBron had 25 points, 12 assists. Anthony Davis, 22 points, 11 rebounds. Um, big nights for them. Overcoming 32 from DeMar DeRozan, um, but still big stuff for the Lakers to get that win. And that closes out our games from the last couple of nights of action. Real quick, let's run through our key news as well before we move on to our next segment. Uh, starting with the Atlanta Hawks guard Trey Young has cleared concussion protocol and was available tonight versus the Mavericks. We'll be able to re report a little more in depth on um, played or did not play um, when we talk about that game on Monday's show. 
Um, another injury update this time for the Brooklyn Nets. Guard forward Ben Simmons practiced with the Long Island Nets, of course, their G League affiliate. Um, this weekend, there's optimism that he could return to the lineup as soon as Monday versus the Jazz. Of course, he's missed extensive time uh, with, with back difficulties, um, so we're hoping he can get back on the floor soon. Um, a shakeup in Washington. Head coach Wes Unsell Jr. has been moved to a front office advisory position. Taking his place will be Brian Keefe, an interim head coach. And then the Wizards are planning for an extensive offseason head, head coaching search. So we'll have to see what happens for the Wizards in the coaching category over the next coming uh, season or so. For the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo was named the winner of December's NBA Cares Community Assist Award. Congratulations to Giannis, um, especially in the December and holiday season. Um, played a big part in the NBA season of giving. Uh, so well-deserved there. Love to see that from the superstars of the NBA. Excuse me. I appreciate you guys being patient with me while I cough and hack my way through this episode. Uh, for the Golden State Warriors, those two postponed Warriors games from last week, um, again, in the wake of the passing of coach, uh, assistant coach Dejan Milijevich, those games have been rescheduled. Um, the Warriors game in Utah against the Jazz has been rescheduled for February 15th at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And then the Dallas Mavericks game in Golden State against the Warriors has been scheduled for April 2nd at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. A couple other games have been shifted to accommodate these uh, moves, specifically around that second game on April 2nd. Um, The Atlanta Hawks in Dallas against the Mavericks, that game, those... uh, scheduled for April 5th has been pushed forward one day to April 4th at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. And then the Golden State Warriors in Dallas against the Mavericks, that game that was scheduled for April 2nd has been rescheduled to April 5th at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. So um, shifting those schedules so that um, Dallas will will have two home games still, um, but their home game with the Warriors will be following the Hawks game and it'll give them an additional day after they play the Warriors in Golden State on the second uh, to, to get back home for that. So, so that makes a lot of sense. Finally, big all-star news. Of course, this is the big news from Thursday night. Um, starting actually with the smaller of the two, the NBA did officially unveil the all-star uniforms for the season. They had leaked um, a few weeks previously, but if you haven't seen them, uh, recommend looking them up. Basically, you've got a, a crimson type maroon uh, for the... I want to say the West and then the East would be your uh, Navy, uh, dark Navy, dark blue uh, uniform. Both of them had kind of a pinstriping with cream accents and uh, the red had the Navy accent as well. The Navy had the red accent Um, An older style I think is befitting and is a nice change of pace from the last couple of years that were very much modern takes. Um, especially for Indiana, where it's a you know a history of basketball, um, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, clean, classic. They're not the most standout uniforms, but I think they look really good. I'm excited to see them on the floor. Um, but more importantly, the All Star starters for this 2024 NBA All Star Game have been announced. Starting with the East, uh, Captain. Uh, and your East front court uh, first named player, Giannis Tedekupo, an eight-time All-Star now. Uh, 
Uh, again, the captain for the East. Alongside him, seven-time All-Star Joel Embiid and five-time All-Star Jason Tatum. Those are your that's your East front court, your East back court. Um, it, playing in Indianapolis, uh, second-time All-Star Tyrese Halliburton, well deserved for him to make it, and especially being in Indianapolis this time, I think that's great. Um, joining him is eight-time All-Star Damian Lillard. Some debate about whether it should have been Lillard or Brunson. Um, it was pretty close. I think Lillard makes sense still as a starter, um, but all deserve all those guys well deserving. Again, Giannis, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Tyrese Halliburton, and Damian Lillard, your East starters. Then we go to the West. Your captain for the West and your first of the West front court players, a now twenty-time All Star, LeBron James. That is. Uh, the record. No one's ever made 20 all-star appearances until now. LeBron has done that, passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record, um, continuing to etch his name into history. Phenomenal stuff. He is joined in the front court by 14-time all-star Kevin Durant and six-time all-star Nikola Jokic. That is your West front court. And finally, your West back court. Um, five-time all-star Luka Doncic is joined by now his a second-time All-Star, Shagildas Alexander. Um, all these guys well-deserved. It's really hard to think of, in either conference, really an egregious pick. You know, pick those left off. Again, if you have to talk about the East, maybe Jalen Brunson. And then in the West, some might quibble the fact, oh, maybe Steph Curry could have been, could have been a starter um, because of what his legacy is. And he still had a great year. But I think Luka and Shea have had such phenomenal years as MVP caliber players, record breakers, um, trendsetters for their teams, being top teams in the West, I think it's more than well-deserved. And a big round of congratulations to all 10 of these guys um, with the combined fan vote, media vote, and player vote. They are in these spots. And, of course, we'll be waiting for the announcement of the remaining All-Stars, seven in either conference, to join them on uh, the rosters for this next All-Star. Of course, those are all coach selections, uh, as best as I remember. I'm not sure when that gets announced, but we'll keep you updated, of course, uh, when that uh, comes to fruition. But that is it for our key news. Let's go ahead and shift focus into our next segment, our franchise focus for the Miami Heat. Franchise focus. All right, we're going to keep this quick. Um, starting with the current team, um, it's just such a bizarre team in the sense that we know that they are a contender. They've made at least the Eastern Conference Finals three of the last four seasons. They've made the NBA Finals twice over the last four seasons. Um, they're, they're good. They're the best in the NBA, frankly, at developing young talent, or at least one of the best. Of course, they talk about the heat culture. Um, they have maybe one of the best coaches right now in Eric Spolstra. They have a legend in the GM position and front office position and Pat Riley, you know, one of basketball's, um, most recognizable figures. And then the roster they have, um, a throwback player in a sense in terms of the competitiveness, but still a great player with versatility. Um, someone who is 
and alpha player Jimmy Butler alongside a Bam Adebayo, still tremendous in that front court spot, continuing to add his versatility. Um, alongside him, the rookie uh, Jaime Jaquez Jr., uh, who's been showing some exciting play in recent weeks, um, and well, and really throughout the whole season. Uh, Tyler Hero, of course, their second leading scorer alongside Bam Adebayo. Actually, no, their leading scorer, excuse me. Leading scorer alongside Bam Adebayo this season. Um, at that shooting guard spot, they have Duncan Robinson, a shooter. They've got Kayla Martin, who can get you points and is a good shooter and a, a rebounder. Josh Richardson, the veteran defensive player. Haywood Highsmith, the hustle forward defensively. Kevin Love, a, a you know, seasoned veteran, great rebounder, stretch guy, uh, former champion, um, a sophomore in Nikola Jovic. And then finally, the recent trade acquisition, chef, uh, shipping off Kyle Lowry to bring in Terry Rozier, who could have an opportunity to increase the scoring and offense for the Heat, um, where they have maybe some more defensively inclined guys um, in some senses, Butler, Adebayo, um, Caleb Martin, Haywood Highsmith. I think that could help them out. Um, I think this Rozier trade is going to be interesting to see for the second half of the season um, based on how the rest of the season plays out and how Rozier does. I think that could be a big indicator for how the team will do in the playoffs. That's assuming they make it to the playoffs. I mean, they're seventh in the East, so I figure they will, um, but they could still be in the play in tournament. <laughs> Excuse me. We know that they, um, did well enough in the play-in tournament last year to get that eighth seed, and then that didn't seem to be any kind of hindrance as they made their way all the all the way to the NBA Finals. Um, we know they're capable of that, and I don't want to be a doubter and you know look foolish for that fact, but at the same time, I think having good playoff positioning still matters very much, and especially where teams in the East, like Boston and Milwaukee, have done so much to bolster their rosters. Not to mention Philadelphia uh, employing a even better MVP, uh, reigning MVP in Joel Embiid, and a breakout year from Tyrese Maxey. Cleveland still has Donovan Mitchell, and they're only going to get better when the supporting guys get back. New York is looking better and better uh, every week. Indiana now. There's a lot of great teams in the East, and there there was last year too, but these teams have continued to work on ascending and the heat have done their best to make roster moves, but they've stayed somewhat stagnant around seventh or eighth in the East. They're only a game ahead of Orlando who's been falling for the past month or month and a half. So there's concerns. Again, I think Rozier could be helpful. I think that they could do well with an inspired second half of the season. Um, and for their case, I hope that they get that. Um, just bizarre stuff. They, I think offense really is a big factor. You look at this. Points per game this season, 10.5. Or not, sorry, 110.5 points per game this season, which is 27th in the NBA. But then you look at opponents' points per game, 111.3, which is 7th in the NBA. But the Heat are technically being outscored by their opponents on the year but they're still winning because they have 
talent and they have defensive play. So if they're getting more offense with Terry Rozier, they can keep a defensive identity. I think that could be a big shift. So again, that's the storyline going forward. But of course, we know they have a finals uh, pedigree and a contending pedigree. I think they can keep it up and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they do that. Um, but for the Heat, they've they've been a great team. You look at their franchise history, not an old franchise. This is their 36th season in the NBA, a 50, uh, 52.6 winning percentage, three championships already. Um, you, know, you can almost think of them as the Baltimore Ravens of the NBA. Um, not super old, but, you know, great teams, um, teams with memorable personalities and identities. And of course, again, we didn't talk about <clears throat> any of the championship teams on last year's focus. Of course, the 06 team with Shaq and Dwayne Wade or the 12 and 13 teams with LeBron and D Wade. Um, we talked about the 97 heat uh, that still ha- that had their second best winning percentage um, of all time and were in the running. Uh, they got in the conference finals, lost to the Chicago Bulls, but they were kind of the next team up at that time in the Eastern Conference. We're still going to sh- shy away from the the championship teams because, of course, those teams get talked about a lot. I just thought it'd be fun to highlight um, their first team with a, uh, you know, that won more games than they lost. This is their sixth season in the NBA, the 1994 Miami Heat, led by head coach Kevin Lawfrey. Uh, who had been a solid player in his own days, his own playing days. Um, they This was their second year in the playoff, second year they'd made the playoffs. Uh, but again, their first year they had a winning record. And this was before Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway, Dan Marley, and those guys would come in to give them a, a team that could win playoff series. But they had guys who would go on to great NBA careers, uh, even greater seasons following this season. Starting with Glenn Rice, who was their leading scorer, 21 points a game, five boards. Um, Of course, he had his best years in Charlotte following a trade there. He averaged about 27 points a game in Charlotte in 97, but still... And shot 47% from three in 97, ahead of his time, Glenn Rice was. Um, but anyways, great player who was starting to break out. Alongside him, another great scorer, um, a shooting guard, Steve Smith, who would go on to all-star level play in Atlanta following uh, his years in Miami. Joining them as the starting center was Ronnie Sykley, um, who was a productive pro. Um, never was too much better than he was uh, in Miami. I mean, those were really his peak years. Um, even when he was uh, moved on from Miami and, and Golden State and Orlando, he was still a productive player, an above-average player who could really help out a team. Um, then they had Grant Long, who we talked about on last year's franchise focus, um, as just a, a, a grit player and a unique skill set kind of combo forward um, with good rebounding, could score, um, a little mid-range type game, but with defense, um, I like Grant Long a lot. And then um, starting point guard would have been Brian Shaw um, at different points. Um, Bimbo Coles had been the point guard uh, early on, but Brian Shaw had kind of taken the role. Solid production, nine points, five assists, four boards. Then they had veterans. They had John Sally, 
um, who of course have been a former champion, <laughs> excuse me, and getting some run in Miami for this younger team. Again, Bimbo Coles, a veteran point guard off the bench, Harold Miner, baby Jordan, um, you know, exciting guard athletically, Matt Geiger, a sizable center. It was a decent rotation. I think it's a fun team to kind of look back at in the playoffs. They ended up starting John Sally ahead of Grant long. Most of the time, I think that makes some sense. Um, sometimes it was long and Sally. Sometimes it was cycling and Sally um, from what it you know, appears to be. Um, and then, um, you know, Smith and Rice and then Brian Shaw, Bimbo Coles played up more minutes than Brian Shaw did just with that experience. Um, had a little bit of a, an emergent playoff series. They lost in the first round to the Hawks, but it was a two, three series back in the days of best of five in the opening rounds. So credit to them. And it's fun. Also worth noting, um, their, <laughs> their playoff series with Atlanta. Game two, they had this brawl, and it's definitely a throwback, you know, especially the 80s, but still in the 90s. You think about the NBA now, there's fights, but they're shoving matches. This fight was a fight. I mean, punches thrown, choking, you know, attempts to choke players, uh, just a lot going on. It's on YouTube in uh, a few different capacities, so I recommend checking it out. This team had a lot of heart, you know, and I think that was a big thing. Um, these first early steps towards a team being competitive long-term. I think it's fun to look back on that. And there's not really more, much more I can add to this team other than that. But, um, hey, you know, the early days of the Heat being, you know, an intimidating type team, but a good team, a team that had talent to to win games long-term um, in the NBA. So, so that's our historic team. We'll go ahead and move on to our historic player. And, again, Grant Long, a bit of a stretch, but he's still – top 12 in win shares on basketball reference. Next guy is third in win shares for the heat. Um, one of the great heat players of all time, full stop. Not really much. You can argue there. Alonzo morning. Zo, uh, the, the centerpiece of the heat for a long time. Um, great career, man. I mean, of course in his high school career, uh, a phenomenal high school career. He averaged 12 blocks per game as a senior, unbelievable stuff. He was player of the year, uh, for USA Today, Parade, Gatorade, and Naismith, and was the number one recruit of his class in 88 over guys like Christian Leitner, Sean Kemp, um, Rick Fox, Malik Seeley. So he was highly touted. He decided, of course, as a developing center and a promising big man, especially in the 80s, you know, I want to follow in the footsteps of guys like Patrick Ewing, and I want to go to Georgetown. He goes to Georgetown. He's teammates with Dikembe Mutombo. Um, his uh, and this is interesting. I wanted to make sure I had this timeline right. Um, let's see, because I think that they were, um, yeah, okay, because he was right alongside Dikembe Mutombo, kind of playing at the same time. He was a center for his first couple of years. His junior year, he moved to a power forward to play alongside Matumbo, who was starting at center as the taller player. Um, after Matumbo was drafted in 91, Morning took back the spot at center for his senior year in 92. Spectacular year. 21 points per game, 10 rebounds, 5 blocks. He was Big East Player of the Year, Big East, Big East Defense Player of the Year. Um, 
which was not the first time he had won that award, led them to, uh, you know, uh, a competitive record throughout his whole career at Georgetown. So he was great. You move on to the 92 NBA draft. He was maybe even a little more accomplished college uh, collegiately than the guy who was drafted ahead of him, Shaquille O'Neal. In the 92 draft, Shaq taken first by the Orlando Magic. Definitely the right pick. Hard to do wrong with the second pick by the Charlotte Hornets taking Alonzo Mourning. And that's where he got his start. And he was, you know, uh, an all-star two of his first three seasons, his sophomore and, and third year with the Hornets. He was an all-star. Consistent 20-point, 10-rebound man, high block numbers, showcasing, you know, hey, Shaq obviously is a better player, but, you know, pretty good consolation prize to have on Alonzo Mourning, including um, in the 93 playoffs as a rookie, hitting a clutch step-back jump shot as a center to win the series against the Boston Celtics with Kevin McHale and that whole team still kind of in their, you know, the tail end of those glory years. So, showed early on he was going to be special. And it's interesting because the Hornets already had a first overall guy in Larry Johnson who was seen as the star, but Alonzo Mourning had the better career. And even in Charlotte, it's like, hey, Mourning might be kind of the better player, um, more consistently healthy at least. But um, for whatever reason, didn't work out there. And uh, again, was, I believe it was a trade. And I want to make sure I get this right. Yeah. It was the Glenn Rice trade that sent Rice to the Hornets where he had a great career, but it brought the Heat Alonzo Mourning. And from there, he became one of the greatest players in Miami Heat history. From 96 season to the 2002 season, seven years, averaged just under 20 points, just under 10 rebounds, just under three blocks, um, was a two-time defensive player of the year, and was high in MVP voting in years like in 1997 when they were, again, the second-best team in the Eastern Conference. I mean, this morning was the piece alongside supporting players like Tim Hardaway, um, Dan Marley, Jamal Mashburn, was the piece that brought the heat from a team that could compete in the playoffs to a team that was going to contend. And that was you know the beginning of the Miami Heat as – championship contenders and championship winners in the NBA. So hugely important. Again, great career, um, but it was derailed for a long time by uh, a diagnosis of a kidney disease. And it was crushing for everyone around the organization. Pat Riley alongside Mourning and you know the players, everyone involved. It, it was just the worst thing you could see. He ends up going to the New Jersey Nets following this as he's working to get back onto the floor consistently, um, was brought into New Jersey to be the starting center for their championship aspirations. Um, just couldn't be on the floor long enough there. Ended up getting traded back to Miami during the 05 season. Uh, and it was during this time, um, actually it was in... Um, November of 2003 um, that he was actually in able to see a light at the end of the tunnel with his kidney disease. Uh, a cousin of a, a retired Marine, Jason Cooper um, got talking with, with morning and, you know, asked, how could I help out? And 
started to contemplate maybe I should donate a kidney and help you recover from this disease. Um, there was other people that were you know, pondering uh, the same thing, including Patrick Ewing, his former or his, his uh, fellow Georgetown Hoya. But Jason Cooper was was the match. And he was kind of an estranged cousin. They didn't know each other that well. Um, hadn't seen each other in more than 20 years. Um, but it worked out. And it was December 2003 that he got the kidney and was able to focus on getting back to action. That was kind of the 05 season, getting more games in and getting back into, into playing shape. And then the 06 season, he's back in Miami as a backup center this time around. And he's backing up Shaquille O'Neal. And they've got Dwayne Wade, um, a stellar third-year player at that point. And they've got, um, you know, supporting players like Jason Williams and uh, Antoine Walker. And they've got Udonis Haslam, a very young Udonis Haslam. And he helps as, you know, heart and soul of the bench, whatever you want to call him. Um, essentially, one of the key pieces to that heat championship team. And that's just phenomenal that he was able to get that title um, after coming back from such a, a difficult personal situation. Um, and then of course his career tapered off, played less games, played less minutes, retired at the end of the 08 season. And that was it rode off into the sunset. And I just think, you know, for all of you, if you haven't watched Alonzo morning play, don't know a lot about him. I recommend watching some of those heat teams and watching some of his highlights. Standout interior defender. He averaged nearly four blocks a game uh, through for the 99 and 2000 seasons. Um, but he could also produce points. You know, he had a decent inside scoring game. You know, could shoot a little bit of a mid-range shot. Solid rebounder. And a throwback to the, you know, the tail end of the big man dominating the game alongside, you know, Shaq and some of those other contemporaries. So, that's our franchise great, and that takes care of our franchise focus for today. So let's go ahead and move on to our Fantasy Fridays discussion. All right, we're going to keep it real brief. Um, I have made a couple of moves in my league. I picked up RJ Barrett. I also recently picked up um, Bayon McDonavich to replace Michael Porter Jr. I'm interested to see how that pans out for me. We're not talking about either of those guys today. Um, just wanted to update you guys on my team, and hopefully I'm going to try and keep more of an eye on uh, available players and see if I can you know, find value and give my team more of an edge because I've tried trade proposals. Nobody seems to like my trades, so I'm just going to do free agency for the time being. But as far as some movers in the fantasy space, a riser, I'm going with D'Angelo Russell. Over the past couple of weeks, his scoring is up big. Um, over the last two weeks, his scoring is up more than 10 points per game compared to the season, and he's shooting 5% better from the floor, 10% better from three, nearly 11% better from three. Um, there's the trade rumors, and I think that's certainly stoked this play a little bit. If he can keep this up, this is what the Lakers need to you know, get back to what they think they can be and what they showed in last year's playoffs as one of the top teams in the West. So that's a riser uh, for a follower. I went with Trey Young. I know there was a concussion situation, um, but <laughs> excuse me. 
Um, before that, his play had dipped. His scoring was down over the last couple of weeks, about six points a game, um, a few assists a game. His percentages were down. Um, I'm not sure what it would be. You know, I think DeJounte Murray had just been taking more of the workload, so I don't know if it's necessarily a fault of Trey Young, um, but especially where the Hawks, more and more it's, you know, they're just going to slip into the play-in again. Maybe there's some fatigue in that style of play over the last couple of years for Atlanta. Just keep an eye on Trey and where the Hawks stand. So that's my faller. <laughs> and then a sleeper, not much of a sleeper, but Jonathan Kaminga. I think people are recognizing this, or at least they should. Um, over the last two weeks, his scoring is up more than 11 points a game. Rebounding is up about two rebounds per game. And his field goal percentage is up about 12% a game. Um, he's been finally emerging. We've seen flashes. It's getting a little more consistent, especially with the Warriors needing more of a boost. He more and more is wanting to take that step to be a feature player. I think it's exciting. and It'll be interesting to watch him and see if that can be maintained because he's had a stellar last couple of weeks. And so we're going with Jonathan Kaminga there as our sleeper pick. So that's our fantasy Fridays. Um, as far as a quick check-in on predictions, um, again, a lot of these, it's hard to give much more of an update um, because they're either trade deadlines. Um, I'd made that Knicks prediction about them going into the top three in the East. They're fifth in the East right now, two games behind Philadelphia. Um, my deadline was the end of January. So we'll see if they get close. Um, there was also... Cade Cunningham is a trade target. Pistons trading players at the deadline. Um, they made a trade uh, for Gallinari and they moved some pieces. Um, we'll have to see if there's anything else that happens in Detroit. Um, otherwise, yeah, still just mainly big trade deadline stuff that we're watching for. So we'll go ahead and move on to um, our last segment, our weekend forecast um, for the games coming up for Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Excuse me. Again, all the times that I will give for these games are in Eastern Standard Time, so keep that in mind as you plan your schedules. On Saturday, 10 games total, three national broadcasts to wrap up Rivals Week, and those games are on ABC at 3 o'clock. The Knicks host the Heat, rematch of last year's playoffs. ABC at 5.30, you have the Nuggets hosting the Sixers, of course, Jokic versus Embiid, the main storyline there. And then finally, ABC at 8.30, Warriors host the Lakers, LeBron versus Curry, Durant versus LeBron, AD is in the mix. You know, I think a pretty solid slate, and especially that last couple of games, some good ones to end on for Rivals Week. Your remaining games at 12 o'clock, the Pistons host the Wizards. Interesting matchup. If the Pistons can beat the Wizards there, I'm going to contemplate moving the Pistons ahead of the Wizards. Wizards have struggled. Otherwise, interesting. At 6 o'clock, the Nets host the Rockets. At 7, the Jazz are in Charlotte against the Hornets. Again, local access, Jazz Plus or KJazz on local Utah cable TV. Also at 7, the Celtics host the Clippers. That's an intriguing matchup. Uh, some hot teams in, in the NBA this season. At 8 o'clock, the Pelicans are in Milwaukee against the Bucks. At 8.30, the San Antonio Spurs host the Minnesota Timberwolves. Interested to see how Wemby handles uh, the combo of Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. And then at 9 o'clock, the Dallas Mavericks host the Sacramento Kings. Interesting one as well. A great Western Conference matchup there. 
On Sunday, there's five games, no national broadcasts. Your remaining games at 2 o'clock, the Pistons host the Thunder. Uh, at 3.30, the Pacers host the Grizzlies. 6 o'clock, the Suns are in Orlando against the Magic. Also at 6, the Hawks host the Raptors. And then at 9 o'clock, the Trailblazers host the Chicago Bulls. And then finally on Monday, 12 games total, two national broadcasts, an NBA TV doubleheader. Firstly, at 7.30, the Miami Heat, Miami Heat hosts the Phoenix Suns. Your flaming ball logo teams facing off, uh, but it's also Butler versus Durant. Intriguing stuff. And then at 10 o'clock, the Portland Trailblazers host the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, so there's some interesting ones there. Your remaining games uh, at 7 o'clock, the Cavaliers host the LA Clippers. Also at 7, the Knicks are in Charlotte against the Hornets. At 7.30, the Brooklyn Nets host the Utah Jazz. Again, Jazz Plus or K-Jazz. Also at 7.30, the Boston Celtics host the New Orleans Pelicans. At 8 o'clock, the Spurs host the Wizards. Also at 8, the Thunder host the Timberwolves. And the Kings are in Memphis against the Grizzlies. Um, another game at 8, the Rockets host the Lakers. But Thunder Timberwolves, again, that's the matchup we were talking about. Uh, the last matchup of those teams this season. If the Thunder win that, that would be a you know exclamation, we are the best team in the West. And that'd be a big win for the Thunder uh, to take that series victory three to one. But again, Kings Grizzlies is interesting as is Lakers Rockets at eight 30, the Mavericks host the Orlando magic. And then at nine o'clock, the Denver Nuggets host the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis versus Jokic, Jamal Murray versus Damian Lillard. That's a fantastic game to close out Monday night's action. Um, as we will get back to you on Monday night with our next episode. Finally, We'll close things out with our This Day in History fact for you. And definitely a sad event that we have to remember, you know, recognize um, how seismic it was and the shockwaves that we still feel from it. Um, Kobe Bryant, the 18-time All-Star who won five NBA championships, became one of the greatest basketball players of his generation during his 20-year career, 20 year career with the Lakers, died in a helicopter crash in California. The accident also claimed the life of Brian's 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, and seven other people, including two of Gianna's teammates. This was in 2020, of course. Um, sad note to end on, but um, maybe we can dedicate this episode to Kobe. Um, and, of course, one of the greats. You can't dispute that. It's still hard to believe that he is gone, but he'll always be in the hearts of uh, the NBA fans, sports fans, um, and, and many others, especially, you know, Californians impacted the lives of so many people. He wasn't a perfect person. He definitely had some mistakes and some well publicized mistakes, but, um, certainly by the end of his playing career and onward, he was a, a great family man, you know, raising daughters, had a love of his family and, uh, was a legend of the game. And so I think that's great to be able to remember that still and, that's where we'll end our episode again. Thank you for listening and being patient with me, uh, with my severely limited voice. We'll be back on Monday with our normal Monday stuff. And I'm hoping that I'm, I'm good to go again. I'm feeling better. If, even if my voice still doesn't sound great, I feel like by Monday, I should be pretty much good to go. Um, but with that being said, thank you again for listening and we'll be back with you on Monday. <laughs> <laughs>